Today's reading is Mark chapter 13. If you read the chapter already, you know that it is full of curiosities that can be rather difficult to understand. When we came upon these uh, teachings in Matthew, we didn't spend a great deal of time digging into them very deeply. And for that reason, um, today is going to be a little different. Uh, I think we're going to try to take a little more detailed look at each section of this chapter to try and understand what all Jesus is referring to here. And again, uh, this is just my best take on it, and there are other interpretations of it, but I'll just lay it out there. So get ready to dig deeper uh, than usual. In fact, I think today I'm just going to uh, walk through uh, the different sections of this chapter, say a few words about each, and uh, and have... They won't find three simple applications for daily living, and there's in this chapter there's just one application: be ready, and and show how each of um, the, how this chapter presents that one application. It, it's it's how we understand why we're to be ready that has puzzled so many. So what we're going to do today is uh, first I'm going to give my best uh, overview of this chapter, and then we're going to have a a bonus podcast for today. Hey, a bonus podcast um, that uh, I'm going to try to present a more detailed uh, understanding of verse 10, where Jesus says in the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. So a normal podcast this morning is just walking through the chapter with the one application to be ready. And then uh, we'll have a bonus episode today uh, looking more particularly at, at Mark 13:10. So let's let's get at it. So verses one and two. The chapter begins with the disciples marveling at all the wonderful stones and all the wonderful buildings, referring to the buildings in Jerusalem, namely the temple. That's verse one. Jesus responds in what to them must have been a rather surprising way. Instead of agreeing with them on how remarkable the structures were. He issues a prophecy about them in verse 2. There he prophesies, There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What's he talking about? Historians and theologians have gone back and forth and have issued many opinions, but the most likely reference, in my view, for what that's worth, is to the Roman destruction of uh, Jerusalem and the temple in uh, AD 70. The Jews had begun to revolt against Rome, in the years leading up to that time. And in response, the Romans engaged in a vicious and cruel counter-campaign and utterly destroyed the temple and much of Jerusalem in that year, AD 70. As the disciples marveled at the buildings that day, Jesus prophesied to them that they would be devastated and destroyed within a few decades. It's this event, in my view, that will be in view in the descriptive comments that follow in verses 5 to 23. Um, so verse, now let's move on to verses 3 through 13, sort of the next section of the chapter. It seems as if Jesus proceeds to describe scenes that will take place around the time referred to in verses 1 through 2, because as they sat on the Mount of Olives, some of the disciples asked Jesus in verse 4, when will these things be? When will these things be? Well, the only things mentioned thus far in the chapter are the events Jesus described in verse 2. And so for me, therefore, if, if indeed the events of verse 2 refer to the things that ultimately took place in 
8070, uh, then the events he described, he will describe here in verses 3 through 13, describe things that will also take place around that same time. Furthermore, it seems that Jesus indicates that the events he is describing will take place within the lifetime of the disciples. Because in verse 9, he tells them personally to, quote, be on your guard for them. And he proceeds to tell them things that will happen to them personally, difficult things for which they will need to be ready and be prepared. Okay, moving on to the next section, verses 14 through 23. These verses still seem predominantly to pertain to the events within the lifetime of the disciples because it ends with another exhortation to the disciples to, in verse 23, the first guard, to be on guard. Further, what sense would it make for Jesus to say in the second part of verse 23, I have told you all these things beforehand, if all the events that he was referring to were only going to happen in the future long after their lifetimes? It wouldn't make any sense, at least in my mind. This section revolves around understanding um, the abomination of desolation, referred to in verse 14. It is unlikely that Jesus is now referring to something totally new, perhaps, and unrelated to what he has already said. It is more likely, in my mind, that the abomination of desolation is just another way of describing the Roman destruction of the temple in AD 70, prophesied in verse 3. It proved to be a horrific scene, as history records it, the horror of which Jesus describes some in verses 15 through 19. Now, in verse 20, Jesus does seem to indicate that the persecution leading up to and culminating in the destruction of AD 70 would issue into an ongoing and intensifying animosity against the gospel and against Christians throughout the church age until Jesus comes again, which he'll say more about in verses 24 through 27. But again, this section, verses 14 through 23, ends with an admonition to the 12 to be ready for those difficult times that would be coming within their lifetimes. So verses 24 through 27. This section shift gears, shifts gears a bit and describes briefly things that will take place, um, quote-unquote, after the tribulation, that is, after the destruction of AD 70 that he's been describing up to this point. As we said earlier, after that terrible uh, destruction and tribulation, in, in year 70, there would be an ongoing and intensifying persecution and tribulation of Christians throughout the church age, verse 20. And here he says that that persecution will not last forever, but will end decisively when every eye beholds, as he says in verse 26, the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. His second coming will be a reality-altering event, hence the graphic descriptions in verses 24 and 25. Now verses 28 through 31, Jesus uses a fig tree illustration again here in verse 28. This is not a reference to the cursed and withered fig tree uh, of Mark 11. He's simply using a fig tree common to the area to illustrate how you can observe its changes in order to know when the summer will arrive, verse 25. And in the same way, Jesus had told them all the events uh, verses 5 through 23, so that they will be able to discern the times, verse 29. In verse 30, when Jesus says that this generation, in my mind, referring to the generation in the life, in the time of his disciples, 
this generation, that generation, will not pass away until these things take place, he's again referring to the events of verses 5 through 23, not the events of his second coming described in verses 24 through 27. To me, this is confirmed by the last section of this chapter, verses 32 through 37. <clears throat> Jesus, we, we know that in verse 30, Jesus is not promising to, revert, to, to return before that generation passed away because he says in verse 32 that no one knows when that will be, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus is clearly speaking in terms of his human nature, by the way, not his divine nature when he says that even he doesn't know the day or hour. The whole point of this last section is to be always ready and prepared for the day of his second coming because it could come at any moment. Don't speculate about the time, as many are tempted to do. Just be ready at all times. As Jesus says, to conclude his remarks here in verse 37, stay awake. Now that's an overview of Mark 13. If you want to, we're going to have a bonus episode to think a little bit more about these things, particularly uh, around Mark 13:10, and this the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. That's Mark 13.